Shalom, and thank you for listening at BethEmmanuel.org. Beth Emanuel is committed to proclaiming the vital gospel message of the coming kingdom of heaven. If you share our passion for this message, please support this teaching ministry and Messianic community with your prayers and financial contributions. To learn how, click the Donate tab at BethEmmanuel.org. The teachings of Yeshua could perhaps be organized under the three categories he offers us as the weighty matters of the Torah, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Each of his sayings pertains to one of these concerns. His teachings about justice emphasize the idea of God's measure-for-measure justice system and the strict measure to which he holds his people. They also plead the cause of the underprivileged and disenfranchised, rebuking greed and corruption. They warn us not to demand our own rights or to demand justice for ourselves, but rather to entrust ourselves to God as we turn the other cheek and go the extra mile. And they warn about God's impending judgment. His teachings about mercy encompass his words about giving charity, storing up merit by showing kindness, forgiving others, extending the benefit of the doubt, going the extra mile, showing mercy to receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful prioritizing compassion for human beings and alleviating human suffering above ceremonial concerns. His teachings about faithfulness emphasize personal integrity, humility, devotion, and dedication to duty, obedience to the commandments, prioritizing the kingdom, and seeking it first. They also teach about simple faith in God, allegiance to God, trusting Him to provide, walking in humility before Him, and all of his self-disclosures about belief in the one sent by the Father. All of that is to say that Yeshua emphasized the weighty matters of the Torah in his teachings. But there's another angle that I'd like to hit, and that is to imagine how Yeshua might rebuke his followers today in keeping with the woe he pronounced on the Pharisees. Woe to you, theologians and pastors, hypocrites, You exegete the Greek, ward off heresies, and save many souls. You speak of the cross, boast about grace, and declare yourselves forgiven for sins. But you have neglected the weighty matters of my teachings, my sayings, and the message of the good news I proclaim. Until the latter part of the first century, the Gospels, as we know them, did not exist. All that Yeshua's followers knew about his life, his teaching, and his words existed in the form of oral tradition handed on to them from eyewitnesses, the twelve disciples. The stories of Yeshua consisted of a body of anecdotes and tales told and retold. The words of Yeshua consisted of a body of sayings, maxims, and aphorisms repeated, memorized, and repeated again. In fact, that's what it meant to be a disciple of Yeshua. A disciple was someone who learned the teaching of his rabbi through rote memorization and then passed it on to others. The disciple who repeats his lesson 100 times is not as worthy as the one who repeats his lesson 101 times. Chagiga 9b According to Papias, Matthew wrote the first gospel. He says, Matthew compiled the oracles of the Lord in the Hebrew language, and each subsequent gospel writer interpreted them as best he could. 
Eusebius, the early church historian and bishop of Caesarea, says that Matthew wrote his gospel in Hebrew. Just before leaving the Holy Land, he said, Matthew had begun preaching to Hebrews, and when he made up his mind to go to the others too, he committed his own gospel to writing in his native tongue, so that for those with whom he was no longer present, the gap left by his departure was filled by what he wrote. Ecclesiastical History According to this tradition, Matthew composed his Hebrew gospel for the benefit of disciples he left behind in Judea. Since he could no longer be there to transmit the sayings of the Master orally, he committed those sayings to writing. So, Hebrew Matthew is not the same as our canonical Matthew. Our canonical Matthew is a Greek text which relies heavily upon the Gospel of Mark. This implies that the original Gospel written by Matthew was a sayings Gospel, something similar to the apocryphal Gospel of Thomas, or the two-ways section of the Didache, or the no longer extant source text scholars call Q, which the authors of Luke and canonical Matthew utilize to augment their Gospels. All of these were catalogs of sayings attributed to Yeshua, completely disconnected from any narrative context. Think about the implications. These original versions of the Gospels made no reference to the birth of Yeshua, the life of Yeshua, the miracles of Yeshua, or the death and resurrection of Yeshua. None at all. Mark was the first Gospel to put that down as a narrative. If you've studied with me long, you've already heard my summary of discipleship, the job description, so to speak, of what it means to be a disciple from a first century Jewish perspective. All the great sages, the rabbis, the sages among the Pharisees, and the teachers of the Torah had disciples, and a disciple had four jobs. They memorized their teacher's words, they learned their teacher's tradition, they imitated their teachers, and they raised up more disciples. Those are the four jobs. So they memorized their teacher's interpretations, explanations, exegesis of scripture. They memorized the stories, parables, illustrations, and anecdotes their teacher told. They learned to practice Torah by imitating their teacher and incorporating his manner of observance into their own. And they learned to keep the Torah the way that their teacher kept it. A disciple endeavored to become like his or her teacher. Luke 6.40 says, A disciple is not above his teacher but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. After the disciple was fully trained, he became the teacher and passed on the teaching to disciples of his own, who, in turn, when fully trained, became teachers and raised up disciples of their own. They taught their disciples in the name of their own teacher, and his teacher, and his teacher's teacher, transmitting a body of oral tradition as vast as the sea. This was the method of higher education in the days of Yeshua. It was also the path to becoming a lawyer. So discipleship was Bible school, law school, and seminary all rolled into one. The teacher-disciple relationship practiced by Yeshua and the Twelve originally existed for the oral transmission of teaching. The main idea of discipleship to Yeshua is this process of transmitting the teaching of Yeshua to the next generation of disciples. Like their contemporaries in Greater Judaism, the Jewish believers passed on their teachings, tradition, and lore primarily by means of oral transmission. 
That is, until Matthew wrote the sayings of Yeshua down in his first gospel. The original gospel was a written transcript of that oral transmission process. Just his words. Let me explain something about how the disciples understood the teaching of Yeshua. In mainstream traditional church theology and soteriology, the important thing is not what Yeshua said and taught. The important thing is what Yeshua did. The fact that he died for sins. His incarnation and sacrificial death is the whole point of the gospel. In fact, from the mainstream church perspective, you could completely remove his teachings altogether and it would not change a thing. You could have a gospel which simply told the story of how the Word became flesh, took on our sin, died on a cross, and rose from the grave. Simply believe this is true for the forgiveness of sins, and you will attain the kingdom and the world to come. According to this view of the gospel, which is the majority view, The actual teaching of Yeshua, as transmitted to us in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are irrelevant to the salvation scheme. But if that's the case, why were the earliest versions of the Gospels only sayings Gospels, collections of Yeshua's words? And if that's the case, why doesn't a document like the Didache even mention Yeshua's death, burial, resurrection, or the atoning value of his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins? The Didache is ostensibly supposed to bring instructions to the Gentile disciple, but it doesn't make a single mention of Yeshua's death on a cross, his sacrifice for sin, or his resurrection from the dead. Neither do the four canonical Gospels make much effort to interpret the death and resurrection of Yeshua or to spell out its implications. Instead, the canonical Gospels primarily concern themselves with conveying the teaching of Yeshua. If the only real important part is the death and resurrection of Yeshua, why do the four Gospels contain chapter after chapter after chapter of the teaching of Yeshua? From the perspective of Yeshua's first disciples, the teaching of Yeshua was the main thing. Of course, they found enormous significance in his death and resurrection, which they understood as a sacrificial death for sin, the suffering of the righteous that atones for sin, and they placed enormous weight on his resurrection, which they understood as God's endorsement of his messiahship and evidence of the coming kingdom. But to them, the main thing was the teaching of Yeshua. His teaching was, of course, all about the kingdom of heaven. His teaching was, of course, all about the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua's teachings can all be summarized with the words, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His teaching was all about how to repent, how to seek first the kingdom, how to practice the righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, without which no one will enter the kingdom, how to find the narrow path and the small gate that lead to life, how to prioritize the kingdom ahead of material needs, such as what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear, how to love others as we love ourselves, practicing selflessness and prioritizing the things of God, how to live lives of integrity, cleaning the cup on the inside so that the outside will be clean as well, about placing compassion for human beings above ceremonial and ritual concerns. 
He brought teachings about the power of faith and prayer to illustrate how we can bring the power of the kingdom of heaven, the messianic era, into this current era. When Yeshua tells his disciples that he is giving them the keys to the kingdom, he is referring to his teachings. His teachings are the keys with which he has entrusted his disciples. They are the keys to unlock the kingdom of heaven, that is, to provide them entrance to the messianic era. He complains that his adversaries shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for they neither enter themselves nor allow those who would enter to go in, Matthew 23.13. But to his disciples, he entrusts his teachings, the keys to the kingdom, with which they are able to open the way for others to enter as well. Likewise, when he warns them that not everyone who calls him Lord and Master is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But the one who hears his words and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. To the earliest disciples of Yeshua, the essential thing was the master's teaching. Even in the Gospel of John, it's Yeshua's teachings that are being presented as the main thing. In the Gospel of John, his teachings are described as the bread of life that comes down from heaven, which must be ingested for eternal life. His teachings are the water of life springing up from a well of eternal life that if a man drinks of them, he will never thirst again, and if a man eat of them, he will never hunger again. His teachings are the light of the world that lightens the way lest we stumble in darkness, and they are the rod and staff of the good shepherd. His his sheep hear his voice, recognize his voice. That is to say, they know his teaching and obey his teaching and follow after him. On the night before he was betrayed, he filled his disciples with his teachings. Then he promised them the Holy Spirit, who would in the future remind them of everything he had said. When other disciples abandoned him because of the difficulty of some of his teachings, he asked the twelve if they too would abandon him, and Simon Peter replied, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To the disciples then, and to the gospel writers, the main thing was the teaching of Yeshua. When Miriam of Bethany sat at his feet drinking in his teachings, he said to her, Only one thing is necessary. Miriam has chosen the good portion. The good portion was in the teaching of Yeshua of Nazareth. He described the instruction of his teaching as the narrow gate and the difficult way that leads to life. He said, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Matthew seven thirteen and 14. So let's ask the gospel writers this question. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hey guys, in your opinion, what would you say is more important? 
to learn and obey the teaching of Yeshua or to believe that he died for my sins? What do you think they would say? How do you think the gospel writers might answer that question? I'm not asking how you would answer that question or how your pastor would answer that question or how Billy Graham or John Calvin or Martin Luther would answer that question. I'm asking, how do you think the gospel writers would answer that question? Likewise, when it comes to the Didache, the main thing, it appears to me, is to transmit the teaching of the Master to the Gentiles. Likewise, in the Gospel of Thomas, the main thing is to understand the sayings of the Master. Ironically, in most traditions, the teaching of Yeshua receives comparatively little attention. When it does, it's very often used out of context and reinterpreted to support a more sacramental type of interpretation, or, among Protestants, to support a salvation by grace through faith interpretation. I find that the words of Yeshua suffer violence in the hands of interpreters who must anachronistically jam them into theological models and dogmas which simply did not exist in the days of the Master. It's not uncommon, for example, to hear teachers declare that the entire Sermon on the Mount is only meant to teach us that we cannot meet God's standard of righteousness and therefore we need grace. Matthew 5-7 through is understood to simply be a long discourse intended to prove that no matter how hard you try to be righteous, it's just not good enough for God and all your deeds are filthy rags. And, if that's the case, then it's not necessary to obey the words of the teaching, so long as you understand that you can't. It's comical, but that's a common idea that the Sermon on the Mount was only meant to teach the abject depravity of human beings. The advantage to that approach is that it gives us permission to completely ignore trying to practically apply Yeshua's teachings. In fact, someone who literally tried to apply his teachings might be accused of legalism. In the days of the apostles, both things were important. The story of the death and resurrection of Yeshua was important. That was the whole point of being an apostle. Apostles were supposed to testify as witnesses to the resurrection of Yeshua. The atoning merit of his suffering was important. And in his merit and favor, there is forgiveness of sins. That's important. But no less important than declaring the resurrection of Yeshua was the mission of conveying the teaching of Yeshua. Somewhere along the line, the emphasis shifted. In the days of the apostles, the emphasis was on the teaching of Yeshua. It was about how to live godly lives in concert with God's kingdom values and how to work towards bringing the kingdom into this world and about seeking to enter into the kingdom and world to come. Somewhere along the line, this emphasis shifted to an emphasis on believing the right things. The Gospel writers believed that the teaching of Yeshua was the instruction for how we are to live in order to bring the kingdom, enter the kingdom, and obtain a share in the world to come. We have let theologians rob us of that and beguile us into believing that the important thing is just to believe the right things. In Messianic Judaism, we have an opportunity to put the emphasis back where it belongs. 
No one else is in a better position than we are to understand, interpret, and communicate the teachings of Yeshua from their original Jewish context. We are holding the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. I hope you have already realized that the teachings of the Master are best understood from the Messianic Jewish perspective. Putting the words of Yeshua back into a Jewish context is like releasing a caged animal back into its natural habitat, where it can thrive and perform as it was born to do. I believe that the teaching of our Master Yeshua has something to say to address every situation we face in life. Remember the iPhone commercial? There's an app for that? No matter what you needed your phone to do, Apple would say, there's an app for that. It's a catchy advertising slogan. I believe we can apply a similar saying to the teaching of Yeshua. There's a teaching for that. It doesn't matter what the question is or the problem is. There's a teaching for that. There was once a popular Christian slogan that said, Jesus is the answer. Perhaps the problem is that most people aren't sure what the question is. I believe that. I believe that it's true. But I would like to suggest an additional bumper sticker, an additional slogan that says, Jesus has the answer. Or again, not what would Jesus do, but rather, what did Jesus tell us to do? This perspective, which emphasizes the teachings of Yeshua, calls on us to be making ourselves busy with real discipleship in the form of learning our master's teachings, memorizing his words, and applying them to our lives. It also clarifies our mission as disciples. Remember that when Yeshua sent the 12 disciples to make disciples of all nations, he told them to immerse them and then to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Matthew 28, 20. Although we have not always articulated it well, this has always been the mission of Beth Emmanuel and the mission of First Fruits of Zion. Messianic Jewish teaching for Christians and Jews. Messianic Jewish teaching because Messianic Judaism has a distinct advantage when teaching Yeshua's words. Because we know Yeshua as Yeshua the Jew from Nazareth, we are better prepared to understand, interpret, and apply his teaching than any other school of interpretation. Because we know and understand Judaism, Torah, Jewish ethics, Jewish teaching methods, and Jewish eschatology, we are in a far better position to interpret, explain, and apply Yeshua's teachings than others who are unfamiliar with those disciplines. That's what we want to be doing too. We want to be bringing the teachings of our master to the whole world. When we do, we are bringing life to the whole world because his teachings are what the apostles called the way of life. They are life in this world, as he says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. And they are the way to life in the world to come. The teachings of Yeshua are directions for following the difficult path and finding the narrow gate. And they are the way, the truth, and the life. When we transmit the teaching of Yeshua, we are shining the light of God's own truth because Yeshua's teachings are rays of light that pierce spiritual darkness. He brings the true light, which enlightens everyone. 
His teachings are the water of life that flows from within him, like the river of life flowing from the midst of the temple, that if a man drink of them, he will never thirst again. They flow into the bitter waters of the Dead Sea and make them sweet, and on the banks of the river grows the tree of life. Yeshua's teachings are the bread from heaven, that if a man eat of them, he will never die. Yeshua's teachings offer rest to the weary and the heavy laden. They are the easy yoke and the light burden. Yeshua says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. As the Apostle Peter said, You have the words of eternal life. Find rest for your soul.